Our Father, we, again, we boldly come before you. We're not bold in ourselves, but we desire to be bold in you, and you you provide that uh, simplicity of soul and spirit uh, that we so desperately need. Certainly in prayer, we need it, and we need it in life. And so, Father, we look to you for that, that we would be lights in the darkness, bold testimonies for our Lord Jesus. Thank you that uh, all of us, including uh, the youngest <clears throat> among us, uh, all those that have believed on our Lord Jesus Christ may be a witness, even in these university college environments, uh, maybe we should say certainly in those college and university environments. Uh, yes, uh, all who lived for the Lord will stand out and they will suffer per persecution as we do and have down through many years. But you're the one, Father, who protects us, guides us, directs us, and empowers us uh, that our witness might be strong. And so I pray for the protection of each one who's going off uh, again this fall. Father, I pray for our, our government, and uh, in this case specifically for the uh, law enforcement part of the government that's under such incredible attack these days, especially in large urban areas. Father, I pray that you would deliver our nation from this evil curse. And uh, it's more, much more than just the virus. And so, Father, we just commit our nation, our people, our government on every level to you. We, we ask for protection and guidance for our president and those that serve with him in these positions. They may be thankless positions for many, but, Father, that they would uh, carry out their duties honorably. That's what we would pray and ask. And I pray, Father, that they'd be protected and that they would be encouraged as they see you work there in their midst. So, Father, we pray that our nation would be delivered from the evil one and those many that serve him, including what seems to be even entire political parties. Father, we all reach out to others, and sometimes we find ourselves speaking to what seems like uh, dead hearts, a deaf wall. Father, I just pray that you'd uh, give us uh, encouragement in that regard. Uh, we might still be lights in the darkness, even when many seem not not to want to to hear what we say. And Father, there are other challenges too in the world. Uh, the flooding in certain places in China is great. So Father, I just pray there's so many challenges in the world. It just seems like the enemy has many opportunities developing to, to take advantage, to take control. He has been controlling much, but uh, it doesn't look so hopeful uh, looking at it from a worldly perspective. But, Father, we are encouraged when we consider that you're still truly the one in control. So. We pray, Father, that you would reach out to many through these times of trial and draw them to yourself. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 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 Well, we have the great opportunity today to continue on. As you all know, I 
put a short title on our last study, and that title was just three words taken out of Zechariah's great prophecy in chapter 9. Uh, those three words are prisoners of hope. And so today, prisoners of hope, part two. <clears throat> Next week, Lord willing, prisoners of hope, part three. And then we go on from there. We'll be finishing up First Timothy at some point, but I've taken this diversion because of those great words of the apostle there in uh, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verse 15, regarding the hope of women. <laughs> we all have a hope, but women have a special kind of hope, as the apostle writes there in that place. And so uh, this slight diversion is meant to fill in the blanks, as it were, to give the, the full story of uh, women down through the centuries and how God has had them in the very center of his perfect work and will. Uh, God sees the end from the beginning, uh, but his plan has to develop in history. And that's where we always, of course, find ourselves in the developing plan of God through history. We're bound to a course of history. That history has a glorious end. But uh, the intermediary steps are not revealed so clearly, except, uh, as you all know, on a pretty high level. But nevertheless, we're made to be prisoners of that eternal hope, as Zechariah wrote there. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on an ass, and upon a colt the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river, even to the ends of the earth. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit, wherein is no water. Okay, and then just read the next verse, which is uh, the key verse there. Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope, even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Okay. Prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. So when Paul writes about the hope of women, he says they will be uh, saved in their childbearing. He's touching on a theme that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we've taken you back there uh, several successive lessons to that great chapter three there in uh, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And what's laid down there are principles. Um, Adam and Eve were both in rebellion against God. Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived, but nevertheless 
followed uh, in the direction that she had gone. They'd both partaken of the the uh, forbidden fruit and suffered the consequence. The consequence was judgment. Uh, they were judged differently, but they were both judged. And not only they, but their offspring. And uh, yet there was uh, a promise given. And through that promise, there was a hope that uh, came to rest in the hearts of both Adam and Eve. And then that was continued on in at least those that uh, believed on uh, the Lord God down through the centuries. Uh, I think even more than that, though, I think there is a hope that's uh, been placed in the heart of all. And this heartfelt response is the work of God himself. It's diminished, certainly. Sin diminishes it greatly, but I believe it's in the hope. uh, It's in the hope, really, of deliverance from these various judgments that all mankind lives. It's just that uh, many turn aside uh, and believe lies and are never willing to receive the blessings of that hope that it would provide to them otherwise. And that's certainly expressed there in Zechariah chapter 9. It's focused directly on the uh, nation of Israel, but the background of it all is... uh, this hope that's in the human heart uh, to be delivered from the consequences of sin, whether that's in the nation as a whole or in uh, an individual person's own uh, life and experience. The central teaching there rests really on Genesis. That means things were established way back at the beginning that continue to shape human affairs today, okay? And uh, as we look through the Bible and come to the end of it, the end of that great uh, writing, which um, we find in the book of Revelation, we see how ultimately God will complete the plan, right? Much is yet to be done. It won't necessarily take too long to get to uh, the kingdom that God will establish on this earth, fulfilling all of those prophecies that God had made to Israel, right? We are having our uh, promises fulfilled daily, and that will be brought to a complete point eventually, perhaps soon when we uh, are caught up into heaven's glory and enter into our heavenly inheritance. But there was a judgment placed upon the woman, and that's what we've been especially focusing on here. Uh, the The judgment was significant. It, its effects on her and her husband and all that would follow after were very, very great. Though Adam bore the full and complete responsibility ultimately, and uh, the sin was placed on his record, as it were, uh, and uh, the burden of that he would bear throughout his life and then all those that follow after, uh, by the sweat of the brow, he says, uh, you will eat bread, right? Uh, And uh, there would be many enemies uh, throughout one's life. But Eve um, was brought in under a different judgment. Yes, yeah, she would suffer together with Adam, of course, but uh, there would be a different judgment. And this had to do with 
what it says there, uh, the multiplication of conception and the pain in childbearing. Um, yet the promise was given there in this First Timothy 2.15, where Paul writes, she shall be, shall be saved in the childbearing. There is a definite article there, the childbearing. It's, it's pretty clear uh, that it points forward. Not only does it point to her own bearing of children, but also forward to the seed of the woman that had been promised in that previous verse there back in Genesis chapter 3, right? So Eve will be right in the middle of how God chooses to work out his great plan of redemption. So there's hope that has come with the judgments that were delivered to these two back so long ago. And that hope will ultimately be the hope of the world, right? So there are eternal consequences that come forth. Now, we looked at some examples of this. I, I've, I've made our theme here for the moment, uh, Prisoners of Hope. And so to see that illustrated in the sacred history, we've gone back and looked at a number. Um, we looked at uh, Sarah, for, for example. She was the first. Sarah, Abram's wife, right? And uh, she... <laughs> According to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So the seed of the woman comes forth, uh, at least in the early stages of that great promise, right? One more generation is brought forth as Isaac was conceived uh, in a miraculous way, right? And um, then it goes on to say, therefore, meaning from Sarah, sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, in other words, Abraham, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. But then it adds this amazing statement, really. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They didn't receive the promises. In other words, they lived their lives in a struggle, as it were, a struggle between earth and the glory yet ahead, right? They had a hope in their heart. They were prisoners of it. They didn't see the fulfillment. Surely they did see evidences in their lives that God was at work. But the great hope that was placed in their hearts by God was not fulfilled, uh, except in part. And uh, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. And that's where we all, of course, find ourselves as well, right? We went on past Sarah. The next uh, uh, woman we looked at, 
uh, next woman because we're looking at how women are right in the center stage of all of God's work. Um, we looked at Moses' sister, Miriam. You remember how Miriam, together with Pharaoh's daughter, were in the center of God's working, where God ultimately uh, delivered the whole nation through uh, <clears throat> through Moses, who he was slated to be killed by Pharaoh, but uh, was delivered, uh, was kept safe, delivered uh, through this amazing, um, <laughs> this incredible teamwork between Moses' child sister Miriam, couldn't have been that old, right? And uh, the daughter of Pharaoh, right? And uh, even Moses' mother was uh, brought in to be the nursemaid and then to train up Moses uh, in the ways of uh, the Lord, right? So Moses became second in command under Pharaoh in due time, but he'd been trained up in the ways of God uh, by his own mother, right? Uh, that's quite an incredible work of God, but notice it all focuses on the women there and how they were used to accomplish what otherwise would have been impossible. Uh, what an amazing, amazing story. So were, were these women the prisoners of that hope? I believe they surely were, right? Uh, then we looked at uh, two more women, both women who were not of the tribe of Israel. They were not uh, of the Hebrew uh, descendants of uh, ultimately going back, of course, to Shem, right? After the flood, Noah's son Shem, uh, and, uh, and then ultimately uh, others after that, uh, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob. These were Gentiles, Rahab and, and Ruth, uh, <clears throat> but uh, God used them in a mighty, mighty way, nevertheless. And uh, through them, the royal line of David was, uh, uh, was brought forth. Okay, so we won't go back and re review all of that now. But I do want you to take note of this. Uh, God selects those that he will use, and uh, that's dramatically proven here if we look into the pages of the Old Testament, right, with Rahab and Ruth. So let's start out today. We'll quickly look at Rahab, then Ruth again, and then Hannah. Most of our focus will be on Hannah, and we'll end up today with a woman whose name you may never heard have heard of, and yet she's critical in the uh, the history of the uh, the sacred history of the seed of the woman. She's right in the center of the whole thing. So what do we see there? Rahab uh, displays hope that was unexpected by Gentiles. A hope unexpected by Gentiles was uh, displayed in Rahab. With Ruth, it was a hope that was longed for by converts, converts to Judaism, right? Uh, 
she herself was not uh, of that family, but she became a convert uh, through Naomi, you recall. Then we have Hannah, who displays a hope that endures, endures among the saints through hard, hard times indeed. And then finally, this uh, great, great woman, the wife of the high priest at the time, her name, Yehosheba. Yehosheba, she displays hope tested against all odds. A hope tested against all, all odds. So first of all, Rahab, a hope unexpected by Gentiles. Okay, I'll just read the one verse from Hebrews 11. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Okay, you remember how the children of Israel had wandered in the desert of Sinai for nearly 40 years. Joshua was given leadership by Moses. Moses uh, was taken by the Lord died on a mountain and no one ever found his body. It was protected by archangels, right? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but uh, Joshua took over as uh, the leader of the people and as the military leader. He sent two spies to Jericho to, to spy out this walled city, which is the next city on the route. It, the first a uh, great victory would be there in the promised land, and after that, many others, right? The plan was to start with Jericho. Uh, Rahab lived in a house built into the wall. You remember the whole story. And uh, I think one of the most amazing things about this story is that Rahab and apparently others were very well aware of what God had done for the children of Israel. They were aware. Now, think of this, okay? Uh, the children of Israel had come out of bondage in Egypt nearly 40 years before. Uh, these people live in a very different part of the world. It's not that far, really, in miles, but uh, it's across a desert, right? Um, and yet they somehow knew what had happened in Egypt. In other words, the word got around, but in an amazing way it got around in such a way that these uh, women, uh, <laughs> who were Canaanite women, they knew that it was the Lord God, it was Jehovah, that had delivered uh, God's people, the Hebrews, out of bondage in e Egypt under Moses' hand, and uh, had taken them miraculously through the Red Sea and then preserved them for 40 years of wandering in the desert, right? And um, they knew about that. Rahab wasn't the only one. And uh, they knew that God had uh, also just, just shortly before delivered the Amorites into the hand of uh, the Israelites. Well, the Amorites were... Uh, uh, a warring tribe on the other side of the river from uh, there from from uh, Jericho and uh, they knew that their mortal foes had been destroyed summarily by by who by the Lord God 
supporting his people, right? So they knew this. So Rahab, uh, when she meets these spies, <laughs> she is quite ready to bow before them. <laughs> and she uh, knows that they're going to be victorious over uh, her city and her people. So she asks for their help. And if only they would deliver her family from destruction when the city was taken. And, and so it had happened. She was delivered. And you remember, uh, that's just the backdrop, really, of the story that's so important here. The story that's so important is that Rahab uh, marries uh, one of the Israelites, apparently one of the two spies, though that's not proven conclusively. Uh, his name is Salmon. And uh, they bring forth a son named Boaz. And that brings us to the next part of the story, the story of Ruth. Okay, what about that? We already looked at that story, but what we didn't focus much on is the uh, aspect of that, which perhaps is as important as anything at all, and it's the uh, the redemption, <laughs> literally that word is used, the redemption of uh, Naomi and her property and Ruth herself, really, uh, from what had occurred as they had lost their husbands. Their husbands had died. Naomi was 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 a, a, a Hebrew woman, and she had left uh, with her husband due to the famine, and they'd gone off into Moab, where the famine was not nearly as severe, right? But her husband died, and her... Um, Two sons had married Moabite women, and uh, her sons died as well. So because of the uh, law of inheritance, the property was, uh, was really uh, uh, in, um, what, in great risk, at least as far as Naomi was concerned. She sort of lost her, her, uh, her rights to it. But because of the Levitical law, we find that in Leviticus chapter 25, the law uh, concerning kinsmen redeemers, <laughs> there was a way that this uh, property could be recovered for the family. Uh, this is all part of uh, God's provisions, mercifully, for people who somehow fell uh, into hard times, lost their property, and then ultimately could redeem it one way or another. One way was every 50 years on the year of uh, uh, Jubilee. Jubilee, right. Um, the other way was if there were a kinsman redeemer, a member of the family would be allowed to step in and sort of bear the penalty, would, would purchase the property and uh, take it over and thereby redeem it for the sake of those who had originally owned it. It's a very complex story. It's one of the most complex stories in the Bible, and yet it, it figures uh, in a large way as illustrating the plan of redemption, whereby, of course, because of sin and the consequence of sin, God would himself send forth his only begotten son to be uh, kinsman redeemer.
<laughs> wow, what a story, huh? So the way it works out is that Ruth uh, becomes the wife of Boaz, who becomes the kinsman redeemer. And she and her mother-in-law, Naomi, are therefore delivered from their desperate circumstances of, uh, you know, property-less, poor women without much hope for the future. They're delivered totally through Boaz, who becomes the kinsman redeemer. Well, this... uh, this is, again, what's written, but behind the scenes, what's really happening here is that God's working out the solution to the problem, how to bring forth the seed of the woman and ultimately Israel's Messiah and our Savior, the Lord Jesus, right? Through a royal line that would uh, proceed step by step through ultimately King David, okay? So that's uh, what happens. Ruth and Boaz bring forth a son. And uh, that son, a son, and so forth. And eventually we get to David. All right. So, Gail, would you please read for us this uh, amazing section here in Ruth, chapter 4, verses 14 through 22. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, This is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And these are the generation of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amminadab. And Amenadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Gail. Those are the last verses in the book of Ruth. Okay? And this is really the story, okay? How God worked out through these women. Uh, his plan to bring ultimately ultimately the seed of the woman uh, to pass as had been promised to Adam and Eve, right? Okay, so David's great-great-grandfather was Salmon. His great-great-grandmother was Rahab. His great-grandfather was Boaz. His great-grandmother was Ruth. And in that way, the seed of the woman came forth ultimately. And I said last time, I'll say it again, because I just think it's so it's so wonderful, really. I think of what Rahab used to tell her daughter-in-law when they were sitting there on long, cold winter nights and talking about their lives and how God had worked, right? <laughs> what Rahab had told Ruth.
Hmm. Ah, what a what a wonderful story indeed. But but if you were Rahab or Ruth living in the midst of those circumstances, what would you have been thinking? <laughs> right? Would you have had this hope overflowing in your heart that somehow you would not only bring forth children, but that these children would be in the center of the plan of God? <laughs> and yet, you know, Paul does say in First Timothy chapter 2 that the woman would be saved through the childbearing, right? Okay, so there is this hope uh, that the children would come forth and would be born, but that they would be enabled to live a life that's glorious indeed, right? Just bearing the children by itself wasn't enough. It would be that the children might be glorious indeed. And so we've seen all these examples here now, and there are many more to come, no doubt, down through history. Here's a long genealogy showing uh, how God worked, though, generation by generation. So it's very clear that uh, these women were uh, prisoners of a great hope, and uh, they certainly proved that. Now we get to Hannah, though, Hannah. And uh, I want uh, Linda to read this. Uh, this, this, uh, this is Hannah's song. You remember Hannah. Uh, she uh, was not able to bring forth a, a son. Uh, much time had passed. She prayed to the Lord. She called out to the Lord. And finally, the Lord blessed her and her husband with a son named Samuel. Okay. And Samuel, and Samuel was offered over uh, to God, right? Uh, Hannah promised God that if she bore a son, that she would give him over to the Lord. And so from his early Days just after weaning, he was delivered off to be raised uh, by the priest there and uh, as one who would serve God his entire life and to be dedicated fully to him. And that's what happened. Samuel, of course, ends up being the connecting link between uh, Rahab and Ruth and their offspring and then David, Samuel is the connecting link. Remember, Samuel is the the uh, prophet of God. He's a judge and a prophet and used by God to ultimately reveal and uh, proclaim David to be king, right? So Samuel is the connecting link. This is in the time of the judges. There are a number of generations in that period there. Uh, Hannah appears on the scene not all that long after uh, Ruth and Boaz uh, uh, established their family, not that long afterwards, okay? But when this son is delivered, Hannah proclaims glory to God by this great, great song of praise, and that's what I'd like Linda to read for us here. And in this, when, when Linda's reading, see how many times it is here that Hannah basically reveals that she has this hope, uh, that she is a prisoner of this hope we've been talking about so long here. Linda, would you please read this for us? And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiced in the Lord, 
My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none, there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more uh, so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bow of the mighty men are broken, and they have and they that stumbled are, are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath born seven, and she that hath many children is wax feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will make the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces, out of heaven shall be thundered upon them, and the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his kings and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen, amen. I just love these words. The Lord maketh poor, he maketh rich, he bringeth low, he lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes to make them inherit the throne of glory. And the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them and the women are right in the center of the story they're not on the sidelines they're right in the center the whole thing is upon them <laughs> that's what she's saying in these great great words it's great song i, I would say it probably was sung I, I i can only imagine the glory of it <clears throat> now you might also remember Mary, we'll look at Mary next time, the mother of our, of our Lord Jesus, who in her so-called Magnificat <laughs> uh, sings out similarly. Mary's great song of praise is just like Hannah's. In fact, it's pattern on it. How wonderful indeed, right? Okay, so, well, we don't need to say more about that. Uh, uh, Hannah's heritage was great indeed, led directly to uh, to David and uh, and onward from there. Now we come to the final woman <laughs> to be considered today. So this is Yehosheba, who portrayed a hope tested against all odds. So hundreds of years later in the history of Israel, after David had ruled for 40 years, thrown in Jerusalem, his son Solomon had ruled for 40 years from a throne in Jerusalem. Solomon's son Rehoboam, who was evil, <laughs> had ruled, and the kingdom was divided. And in the north was uh, Jeroboam, who was thoroughly, thoroughly evil and brought the Canaanite religion very much uh, back uh, in the middle of uh, the worship of 
the Jewish people, right? <clears throat> um, so the kingdom's divided, and there are now many uh, kings that come successively, both in the north and in the south, uh, most of them evil. There are a few exceptions. One of the exceptions was a man named Jehoshaphat uh, in the southern kingdom. And uh, he was a relatively good king. He had a son named Joram. And uh, Joram ascended to the throne when his father died, but made the critical error, Joram made the critical error of marrying a daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel were ruling uh, with great uh, idolatrous evil in the northern kingdom in Samaria. But they had a daughter uh, named uh, Athaliah, and uh, the king in Jerusalem, Joram, the son of Jehoshaphat, married Athaliah. They had, in other words, a uh, you know, intermarriage between the different regimes, uh, thinking that somehow that was going to lead to something good. Well, it only led to evil. Athaliah, the wife of Joram, was thoroughly, thoroughly evil, following the footsteps of her mother, mother Jezebel. She wanted to destroy the entire family of David as it continued on at that time. So uh, she arranged for her husband's six brothers to be murdered, thinking then that she had destroyed the, all the rightful heirs to the, to the throne of David. Uh, her husband still lived, but he was suffering from an incurable disease and after two years of suffering horribly, he died. But they had a son named Ahaziah, and he ruled in the place of his father. Ahaziah attempted to destroy and pretty much succeeded in destroying all of the royal family in the northern kingdom. <laughs> that means his own mother's family. Uh, but in the process of war, he himself died, leaving no one to take the reign of power in Jerusalem except, you guessed it, Athaliah, this evil, evil woman. So she takes over the reins of government, thinking that there's nothing left of the royal line of David. So she has none to challenge her, her rule, right? And she establishes idolatry on levels perhaps even that Israel had never seen before. That's how evil she was. She even perverted and corrupted the priesthood. Um, well, <laughs> however, there was a one-year-old son of Ahaziah that somehow escaped her notice. His name was Joash. He's only one year old. The wife of the high priest, the true high priest, and Athaliah had put a false priest in charge, but the true high priest was married to a woman um, named Yahashaba. And Yahashaba hides the one-year-old Joash, the baby Joash, who is the only remaining heir of the throne of David, still alive. She hides him for six years, and in his seventh year, through a dramatic series of events, he is crowned 
king. <laughs> the rightful king sits on the throne in Jerusalem uh, at only age seven. <laughs> well, of course, uh, Athaliah goes insane, basically. I mean, quite literally. I mean, she is ultimately uh, 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 delivered unto death. And the boy king rules. But he's only a boy king. He has no wisdom, and he eventually leads the nation back off into terrible idolatry. It's a sad, sad story. But proving again that God rules sovereignly in the affairs of men. So the royal line of David is continued against insurmountable odds through a woman a godly woman, the wife of the high priest, named Yeho uh, Shabbat. Okay? So again, God delivers, accomplishes his great promise regarding the seed of the woman through a simple woman, a woman of faith, a woman with in her heart a great hope uh, that had been placed there so many generations before as God placed that hope in Eve's heart. The women would be delivered through their childbearing. Not only that, but the nurturing of the children, the raising them up in the ways of the Lord and and uh, presenting them as those who are qualified at least to uh, lead God's people. So, what an incredible story. Um, all of these women possessed a hope, a hope that endured. Uh, so hope beyond hope, uh, uh, hope that endures. Uh, so many are prisoners of that hope, and I would submit to you that we are as well prisoners of that great hope. God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. What a wonder. His work is. So be encouraged all, especially you women. And uh, further comments before we close today? Hi, Jim. I have two quick comments. Okay. And, uh, Let's go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, the first one is it's just uh, mind boggling to see that the whole Jericho, you know, totally occupied by Canaanite. You know, aka there are a lot of Nephilim there, mm -hmm. and they were totally wiped out except uh, Rahab and her father's family, and it sort of kind of resonate with the flood. The whole earth was destroyed except the uh, Noah. I, I found that fascinating. Um, so that that's one quick comment. Then the second one is. Uh, now we just read this uh, second king and see how the kingdom of Israel, uh, even at the height of Solomon, with all the wealth and power and glory, just <clears throat> quickly, within a generation, the kingdom collapsed. Mm -hmm. Just how fast, you know, the the so-called uh, glory and power of man can decay. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how fast, isn't it? But, of course, the greatest story of all is how God continues to to do his work, see, even in the midst of this. 
<laughs> and ultimately, he's going to resolve the issue once and for all. Well, we skipped over the reading of those verses in Second Kings that I wanted Elizabeth to read, but uh, I gave an overview, a summary. So I think we have the picture pretty well in mind. Uh, God uses the weak things of this world to what? Confound the wise. To confound the wise and and to destroy the mighty. How about that? Because the whole world rests upon those that God has chosen, right? That's how God sees it. The pillars of the earth. The pillars of the earth. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us today and blessing us through this precious word. And uh, may you be honored and glorified in us as we go forth bearing this precious message. May we be effective in sharing it. May we never lose our confidence knowing that you're accomplishing your great work uh, even in our own day. And so many in times past never lost sight of that hope, and uh, we pray that we wouldn't either. And, uh, of course, our hope is even <laughs> uh, so glorious indeed, considering uh, the heavenly perspective that you've blessed us with. So, Father, uh, please watch over us all, protect us, guide us, direct us, and empower us, and give us a special word for those that still need to hear. And we would ask that that, uh, that um, blessing in Christ's name, Father, and and amen. Well, praise the Lord all and uh, enjoy and uh, never stop hoping. <laughs>